Thank you for allowing me to come and open God's word and speak into your lives for just a few minutes this morning. I want to thank Dr. Greenway for the kindness of the invitation to be here today. And uh, even though he maligned my undergraduate degree and uh, my institution of higher learning at the University of Tennessee, I am grateful for him. And I'm grateful for what's happening on this hill. I want you to hear me say that. Um, there are many of us who have served and who have come through the hallways and the classrooms of this institution, and I am very grateful for what God is up to at Southwestern Seminary, and I believe that there are bright, bright days in the future, and so we're very thankful for that. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and open them with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, I'm going to deal with verses 1 through 6, and we'll look at those together in just a moment. Sydney McLaughlin is a world-class athlete. She's an Olympic gold medalist. She holds the world record in the 400-meter hurdles. But beyond that, she is also a follower of Jesus. And uh, I want to hold up to my daughter, who is uh, something of an athlete, and is 13 years old, I want to hold up to her some good examples. And I discovered Sydney McLaughlin and uh, was reading an article about her. And I want you to listen to something that she said. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't seem possible. He will make a way out of no way not for my own gratification, but for his glory. I have never seen God fail in my life, in anyone's life for that matter. Just because I may not win every race or receive every one of my heart's desires does not mean God has failed. His will is perfect. And he has prepared me for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he's given me to point all the attention back to him. That'll preach. Sidney McLaughlin is right. And I, there's a sentence in that that got my attention. He has prepared me for such a time as this, for this moment. Here's what I want you to know and what I want you to hear from me this morning. And I believe God's word's going to speak this to us, that God is preparing you for a moment. God has raised up this generation to meet the needs, to speak into this culture. The Bible says that David served God in his generation and he died. David wasn't for every generation. He was for his generation. And God is raising up a generation to speak into this culture at this moment. And you are the people God is raising up. And I'm thankful that even though I may be a little bit farther down the road, that God is using me in, in this generation in some way. I want to talk to you this morning about how God prepares us for our moment. Sydney McLaughlin believed that she's been prepared through her coaches and through her training and through her nutrition to be an athlete. And God is preparing her for something even bigger and greater than that. So this morning, I want to speak to you from that perspective, because I believe God is preparing you. And as I began to consider what God would have me say to you, 
Um, I, I really did pray about it. The, the invitation came this spring, and over the summer, I prayed fervently over what, what should I speak to you about today? And this word from Jeremiah kept coming back to me. Jeremiah was not one of the city prophets. He was a country boy raised at Anatoth in the area of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he wasn't a big city boy. He was a farm boy, and I relate to that. I'm, I'm a farm boy. I was raised on a farm in West Tennessee. But beyond that, Jeremiah is also, sometimes he's simple, and I like that. Uh, when you read through Ezekiel and Daniel, you get all those apocalyptic images and things that I don't, I'll just be honest with you, I don't understand it. But, but Jeremiah is the elementary education philosophy prophet. What I mean by that is this. In elementary school, we learned on field trips and with object lessons. And so God says to Jeremiah, I want you to take a field trip. And on this field trip, I'm going to show you an object lesson. And so he says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to a common place. I want you to go to something that in every little town, there's one of these little shops. It was a potter's house, a place for making pottery. Now, the potter's house was, was a common place. In big cities, there would be many of them. But in every small town, there was a potter. The reason for that is that pottery was basically the tool of the day. Women would carry clay water pots down to the, to the water, to the well, to, to get water for their homes. There was no running water, obviously. And they would use clay bowls in order to mix their food and clay plates in order to eat. And so pottery was absolutely abundant in this society. But it was also incredibly fragile. And it was broken most of the time. There was none of that spray-on flex seal to fix it when it broke. And so you had, to, you had to go buy a new piece of pottery. And the potter's business was just constant. They might not get rich, but there was a, it was a good business. It was a steady income. And Jeremiah goes down to this common place to see a common occurrence. And God speaks. Listen to the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I considered what this text says to you and to me, and I thought, what would I have wanted some preacher to tell me if I were sitting where you're sitting? You see, as you are, I once was, and as I am, someday you shall be old, okay, if the Lord grants you that. But as you are, I once was. And here's what I wish somebody had said to me. 
trust the hand of God to shape your life. The first thing I wish somebody would have said to me is, trust God to shape your life. The, the metaphor is obvious here. The potter is God, and we are the clay. If we use good hermeneutical principles to interpret Scripture with Scripture, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. When I was younger, we used to sing a hymn a lot in my little church where I grew up, especially to conclude a service or for the invitation hymn, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. After thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. He is the potter. We are the clay. And Isaiah stands watching as this potter is working at the, the potter's wheel. Now, the interesting thing about this is that there were two types of potter's wheel. There was a potter's wheel that had simply one wheel that the potter would spin with his hand and then frantically he would mold clay and then he would spin it with his hand. And you could only make common vessels that way. But the word here is actually the word for a dual wheel, for two wheels. It was a, a, a base wheel on which the lump of clay was placed. There was an axle down to a lower wheel that the potter would spin with his foot. And so the potter, in this case, is spinning this wheel with his foot, and he's using both hands. You see, that would give the potter greater dexterity, and he could, he could make exquisite vessels. Not just a common water pot, but he could make something extraordinary and unique in that way. This was a skilled potter that Jeremiah was watching. Oh, oh, don't pass over that too quickly. You see, the divine potter makes unique, exquisite, ordinary vessels. Not just common vessels. He made you unique. God created you. When Jeremiah is called, God says, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I appointed you to be a prophet over the nations. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. And he has crafted your life with every experience that you have to be used for his glory. They may have been good. They may have been bad. Your background may not have been perfect. You may have not have had privileges that some other people had, or you may have come from a life of, of absolute privilege. But God created you. He created you with a gender. He created you with a personality, with temperaments, with talents, with taste. And God wants to use the unique you that he created. I want you to know that. I'm going to confess something that I very seldom told other people. I spent the first good bit of my ministry trying to be somebody I wasn't. I'd compare myself to others. They had bigger churches than I had. I thought they could preach a whole lot better than I can preach, and you'd probably agree. 
They seemed to have gifts that I didn't have. And I would compare myself to them. It was Theodore Roosevelt who said, not a great theologian, but still someone who said, made a statement, comparison is the thief of joy. And he's right. It may not be biblical, but it's true. I spent a good bit of my ministry just comparing myself to others. And when you compare yourself to others, then you know what you start trying to do? You start trying to imitate others. And when you imitate others and you aren't who God created you to be, then you become an imposter. Frank Abagnale became famous for a self-disclosing book called Catch Me If You Can, in which he told the story of how he had impersonated in the late 1970s a United States Attorney General, a doctor in the state of Georgia. He posed as a pilot for Pan Am Airways. And he, say, he makes these claims of all the things that he had done in his life. But here's what's interesting about Frank Abagnale. By the way, his story was made into a movie, and Leonardo DiCaprio played him as, as in that movie, Catch Me If You Can. But here's what's interesting, that recently some reporters have dug into Frank Abagnale's stories and what they have found is that the man who claimed to be an imposter was actually an imposter posing to be an imposter because all of his stories were made up. Most of them aren't even true. God created you to be someone unique. Never doubt that God created you for a purpose and on purpose. God wants to use you as you are. I learned maybe 10 years into my ministry, and it's been 30, that I'm not a very good Chris Osborne. I'm a terrible O.S. Hawkins because I can never come up with the third word that starts with the letter Q. I, I, I can't do it. But I'm a pretty good Bob McCartney. And I have come to accept God's sovereignty over this human clay. And I believe he wants to use me and I believe he wants to use you. Trust God to shape your life. Second, God loves me as I am, but he will not leave me as I am. I need to remember that. God loves me as I am, but he will not leave me as I am. As Jeremiah watches the potter shaping this vessel on the wheel, something happens. The potter, as he touches and as he molds and he shapes, he presses in on one section of the clay. And the Bible says, and the vessel that the potter was making was spoiled in the hand of the potter. It was marred as, though, as that piece of clay began to spin as the potter began to form and to shape it, he hit something with a finger maybe that was a rock, something that was jagged, maybe a hard place where the clay had hardened. It wasn't malleable. It wasn't moldable. And anytime a potter did that and the wheel was spinning, it would not just cause a little fracture. It would rip that vessel. And so the potter has a choice. He always has a choice. The potter's choice is this. He can either stop the wheel and scoop up that lump of clay that won't mold, that won't be fashioned, that won't be shaped. He can either scoop that up and throw it out of the back door of the potter's house, a discarded piece of clay that just wouldn't yield. 
or the patient potter could stop the spinning wheel and the marred vessel and he could dig into that clay and he could find that rock, that um, unmovable, that intractable piece of rock or clay or bone and he could pull it out and then he could start reshaping that vessel. We have a patient divine potter who does not throw the clay away. You and I all have those unyielding spots. Let's be honest. We all have those places that won't, that won't yield. And what we need is the divine potter to reach into our life and to pull out that sin and remove it so that we can be remolded into what God wants us to be. But, but let me help you with this because you need to hear this. Yes, we have a patient divine potter. But in order to remove those intractable, those, those immovable, unmoldable parts of our life, the vessel that the potter was making must be broken. Hear me. To bring us to usefulness, God must bring us to brokenness. That's uncomfortable, but it's true. 1987 BC, before cell phones, I graduated from the University of Tennessee. I had ambitions in life. I was going to law school. That was my ambition in life. Now, that was actually a stepping stone in my ambition in life. What I wanted was a career in politics. But I confess to you, I didn't want to be in politics to serve people honorably. I wanted to be in politics because I wanted power. And I wanted prestige. Now, that's me being transparent and honest. But I was on, on the track to law school and Along the way, I had met my college sweetheart. Her name was Lisa. And so in the interim between what was supposed to be my going, uh, graduating from college and going off to law school on July 3rd, 1987, Lisa and I got married. And we began our married life together. A couple of weeks later, my mom came to Lisa and she said, uh, Lisa, the little country church that we attend, we, we don't have enough workers for vacation Bible school. And my wife loved children, loved teaching uh, Sunday school. She had done that. And, and she said, Lisa, my mom said, Lisa, would you help us with vacation Bible school, even though we weren't attending that church? And she said, absolutely, I would. And so on the Monday night of vacation Bible school, I kissed my new bride goodbye. And she went out of the door and went off to teach at vacation Bible school. I stayed at home, and the time came that I knew Bible school would be over, and, and I was waiting for her to return home, and, and it was getting a little late, just a little late, and I, I was beginning to get a little concerned when I heard a car pull up in the driveway and heard a door shut. She's home. And then I heard another door shut, another door shut. 
I started walking toward the door when furiously and frantically there was a pounding on my door. I opened it to see the ashen face of a pastor in our community with my mom and my aunt. They pushed me into the car and rushed me toward the hospital. My wife had been involved in a single car accident. And when I got to the hospital, they told me that my bride of 24 days was dead. And all of my ambition and dreams and hopes lay in a crumpled heap. Broken. Some of you who are good theologians, you're you're sitting there wondering, is he blaming God? No. Do you think God caused it? Did God permit it? Let me tell you something. Let me say what I've come to grips with. Whether God causes something or he permits something, in order for it to come to me, it still has to pass through his hand. And he loves me. So he's going to use it for my good. But in that moment, I was simply crushed and broken. But what God did through that was he removed part of my heart of stone that was so self-centered. And it was so so bent on my own glory. And he pulled that out. Now, I've still got some things that the potter's working on. But I've come to grips with this, that God is sovereign over my suffering. The sovereign God of the universe who created me for his glory also is going to use my suffering. I do not believe in the child of God in unredeemed suffering. God has a purpose in it. What I want you to know is this. Ministry is hard. And I pray you never experience what I experience, but I'm going to guarantee you this. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be some measure of suffering. Persevering through it. Surrendering to his touch. But I want you to know this. When the brokenness of this fallen world rips us apart, we have a divine potter whose heart is to put us back together. His heart is to put us back together and to mold us. Listen to it once again. But the vessel that the potter was making was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter. I'd built a life. I was building a life. And God said, no, let me crush that one. Because I've got something better in mind for you, Bob. God has something glorious and great in mind for you. Let me me conclude with one final thought. My responsibility in all of this is to surrender to his molding. My responsibility 
is to surrender to the divine potter's molding. Jeremiah is standing there, and the verb tenses in the Hebrew seem to suggest he just stood there for a long time watching as the potter was making and crushing and remaking this vessel. He didn't hear the voice of God during all that. But then God speaks. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Now that is not a question of God's ability. God is certainly capable of doing it. It's not a question of God's authority. I think it's a question of our availability. Will you surrender to my touch? A few years ago, my wife and daughter and I went on a mission trip, and uh, we went over to Europe, and we had a layover at Heathrow Airport. And so uh, my daughter was kind of fascinated with the royal wedding that had taken place, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, and and uh, we had a long layover, like from 6 a.m. until 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So we left Heathrow, and we go to Windsor Castle. You take the tour of Windsor Castle, and you go through the state dining room, which is just incredible. It feels like it's as big as this room. You walk through the sitting room where the queen receives people in the throne room, and you see all this, the, the armor of knights from five, 600 years ago. It's a fascinating place. But there are these velvet ropes, and there are rooms you can't go in because those are the, actually where the queen lives. They're private rooms. They're off limits to visitors. In your heart, let's just say there are some compartments and some rooms. I want to ask you a question. Have you strung any ropes over those rooms and said, no, God, this one's off limits to you? Oh, I'll let you change this part of my life. I'll surrender this part of my life. But, but, but this, this part of my life, no, no, no. You see, there's a difference between that piece of clay on the wheel and you and I as animated clay. That's what we are. We have this treasure in clay pots. There's a difference between us and that inanimate clay, and that is this. You can slap back the hand of the divine potter in some ways and say, oh, no, God, I won't have you touching that. Have you surrendered it all? Have you surrendered absolutely everything to him? Or are you pushing the divine potter's hand away? See, God has a goal. Let me tell you what that goal is. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 29. But those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, see, I've lost some of you. You come in here and you're thinking like theologians. And you want to talk about that foreknowledge and that predestination word. That's not the point. It's not the point. Now, please, go to your New Testament class and debate that. I'm fine with that. But the point is what follows that. It's what he foreknew and predestined you to. And here's what he predestined you to, to become conformed to the image of his Son. Read that again. Not transformed. Metamorpho. Instantaneous. Oh, conformed. That's a potter's word. To be molded. To be shaped. To be crushed. 
and to be remade. So that you reflect the glory of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you so that you will reflect him in such a way that this lost generation will come to know him, that they will surrender and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and be given new life because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're to do. That's who we're to be. Oh, God. Oh, God. Would you let us be a reflection of your son in a generation that is so confused and a culture that is off the rails? Let them see Jesus in me.